Welcome back to Flex Your Head, another special episode of Scream Therapy. On Flex Your Head, we take a breather from punk rock and mental health and explore classic punk albums, which I guess is good for mental health. This episode, I'm joined by my longtime friend Mike, who goes only by his first name, kind of like Cher. Sorry, Mike. He was here for Flex Your Head episode three when we talked about Born Against. Welcome back, Mike. It's good to have you on the podcast again. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Yeah. So what album are we talking about today? And I use quotes around the word album. Yeah, we're talking about the first two seven inches by Minor Threat. Okay, so Minor Threat's first two Seven Inches album, again, album in quotations, a.k.a. Minor Threat. You and I have been to this band for, what, 25 years? Right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They were formed in 1980, which would have made me eight years old. So obviously I wasn't listening to Minor Threat when I was eight. Formed in 1980 in Washington, D.C. This is all stuff people should know, I think, but vocalist Ian McKay, drummer Jeff Nelson, bassist Brian Baker, and guitarist Lyle Pressler. And the first... EP was Minor Threat in 1981, and then it was In My Eyes in 81, and then they released together as the first two seven inches, aka Minor Threat, in 1984. So first of all, that opening of Filler is probably one of the best ever. Yeah, that's what I thought when I first heard it. I hadn't really been exposed to much punk before, or hardcore anyway, before that, so it blew my mind when I first heard it. These two seven inches minus the two tracks off of Flex Your Head, which were Stand Up and the 1-2-X-U wire cover. The two seven inches proper are 17 minutes, 12 songs in 17 minutes. Yeah, every song is a minute and a half and under, or sometimes a minute under, which makes for a really wild listen. Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of unrelenting, you know, like it doesn't, doesn't really stop. Up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a radio show that Henry Rollins did one time. He played the whole first two seven inches on the radio show, and it was just completely unrelenting. <laughs> I wanted to get into the opening thoughts on this. Do you have anything that comes to mind right away? When I first heard it, like I said, I hadn't, what I'd been to, exposed to as punk was like Green Day or Offspring or something like that. So this seemed like actually like a different genre of music or something to me when I first heard it. I think it was before you'd given me any mixtapes of like other kinds of punk or hardcore or something. I think this was like the first uh, like hardcore you exposed me to, right? It really went hard. It's just like, here you go. You've heard the offspring. Yeah. You need to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd listened to like indie rock. I wasn't even into, like I'd heard offspring and Green Day. I wasn't super into it. I was more into like indie rock, Sabado or Dinosaur Jr. or something. Hearing this kind of blew my mind and was my introduction to hardcore. The sound of it, all the tones of everything, guitar, drums, everything, the speed of it sounded different than anything I'd ever heard. And then the lyrics are super angry. I guess they kind of come across as somewhat political too, but I think it's actually more just personal. The sound, like you're saying, it just sounds, it sounds brutal. Let's just put it that way. It sounds like <laughs> someone's smashing plates in a kitchen or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favorite guitar tones on an album. Sounds like a buzzsaw. Yeah. The one thing about Minor Threat is they're just so simple. I'm trying to make that sound better than it is, but they're very simple. They're very direct. No fucking around. They just do it. And it's just so 
I think, much better than a lot of the punk bands of that era because, first of all, they're singing about things that no one else sang about. The punk scene was very substance use orientated at the time. You think of bands like Circle Jerks and L.A. punk scene, a lot of drinking and drugging, and Minor Threat were the first band that just went, no, we're doing our own thing, and very widely documented about how they had their own scene going, and the D.C. scene was so inspirational. Seeing the booklet and seeing the photos of them too, and just seeing that they just looked like regular people, that really like impacted me too, that they weren't dressed up as punks or something. Mm-hmm. That kind of made me able to identify with it more. They just look like regular people. Like I don't have to put on a uniform to be a punk. They're so influential and they were around for three years and they're broken up for part of that as well. I just think that really tells a lot about the band, how ahead of the time they were. Brian Baker's bass playing to obviously Ian's vocals and lyrics. Jeff Nelson's drumming was very stellar at that time. Of course, Lyle's guitar as well. To me, that's just amazing. Three years, you think of a band like Black Flag or Circle Jerks or any of the big punk bands, Dead Kennedys. For the amount of time they were around, their influence is in greater proportion, (laughs) definitely. They probably even have more influence in certain ways than those bands you mentioned, in certain circles or in a certain sense, even though they weren't around for as long. Probably the most hated hardcore band as well. Yeah, yeah, I guess. (laughs) Definitely because of the straight edge. I think it got taken in a direction it didn't need to go. But then, yeah, for me at the time, it was important just because uh, it wasn't like an ideological thing. I just just happened to not drink and not do drugs. And then so I heard this band that said that it wasn't weird, that I wasn't weird for not doing those things. That was inspiring to me. I think they're one of the only punk bands that really celebrated youth in a way that was genuine. They weren't trying to be let's say, quote-unquote, adults. Um, they were trying to be themselves. They weren't trying to be larger than life. They were just, like you said before, wearing normal people's clothes. And Yeah, I appreciate that about the, the song Minor Threat, that self-titled song kind of captures that. It's actually kind of a more like upbeat, anthemic song, too. Just the idea of you don't need to try to grow up or act like an adult if that's not what you are. And that can just be whatever you are, whatever age you are, just be yourself. I'm still a minor at heart. (laughs) That's a promise. Yeah. (laughs) Play it faster. (laughs) I always thought that was amazing. (laughs) There's a bunch of little like humorous comedic things in there. Different songs, I mean, yeah. I think my favorite song off of the album is In My Eyes. It's just got a real barrel roll to it, really fast, like rolling down a hill. And then the line, at least I'm trying, what the fuck have you done? At least I'm fucking trying, what the fuck have you done? Burned in my brain, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can you pick favorite songs off this? or Kind of hard to pick favorite ones. I like a Bottled Violence, I always really like. Screaming at a Wall, I think, is the one that has a breakdown part yeah. to it. And then it goes back into a fast part again. So I, I always really like that one. And my eyes has that too. Actually, this is really not worth mentioning, but I will. <laughs> Rage Against the Machine covered in my eyes. Oh, I didn't know <laughs> that. <we> <laughs> the rebellion continues. <laughs> we're looking at 20 songs, two of which were the ones off the Flex Your Head. One's a cover of a Wire song off of their album Pink Flag. And you won't believe this, but until very recently, I thought it was called 
12 times you. <laughs> I don't know why, because I never heard anybody say it out loud. Even though in the lyrics they say 1-2-X-U. <laughs> I always thought it was 1-2-1-2. I didn't realize it was an X-U. Anyways, it's called 1-2-X-U. So it took me, what, 25 years to figure that one out. <laughs> I never listened to Wire until like a few years ago, but it's really good. And then you can sort of see how Minor Threat were influenced by them, yeah. But at the time, I'd never heard of the, any band called Wire. Like, what do you mean this is a cover song? Yeah. The obvious one is the last song, Stepping Stone or Stepping Stone. Right, right. Done by Paul Revere and the Raiders, the Monkees. Uh, and then DC kind of took it as their own in the punk scene. I guess it started with a band called The Zones that first did it. Oh, okay. SOA did it. Government Issue did a seven-second version. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> if you can check that out, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then it became a bit of a DC standard. My understanding from reading the Dance of Days book is that a lot of the early DC punk bands would just do this song at the end of their sets, and there'd be a big pylon. Right, yeah. But obviously Minor Threat was the one that immortalized it, I guess. The studio recording of that, they do that fake out at the beginning. It ramps up in this like back in the wind tunnel up until it goes loud. And I love that. There's little trickery things in the studio. want to get into the lyrics in a meaningful way <laughs> sure why not or are we just opening up like huge cans of worms here can't be avoided really <laughs> there's what four or five songs on here that are outspoken against drinking and drugging and wasting your life when you're a kid i really respect that i've been sober for most of my adult life and to hear a band actually talk about these things but they always got shit about talking down to people and how dare you tell me what to do and but it really wasn't done in that that way to me. To me, it sounded more like these are my struggles. This is what I'm doing. And this is the way that I'm seeing it. I'm seeing people get drunk and fight. I'm seeing people do drugs and, and lose friends. And like, it wasn't, I think you're an asshole for doing this. It was more like, these are my experiences. What are you going to do with it? I think at the time, yeah, I was trying to just be more personal. Yeah, his own personal experience, but then everyone else interpreted it as this religion or a set of rules to follow or something like this, but I don't think that's necessarily what the intention was. I can sort of see the anger behind it too can get interpreted as looking down on people or something or, or telling people what to do. Maybe that's part of it. And then I think now people are trying to have more like an awareness of not like looking down on people that use drugs, you know, or not mm -hmm. trying to not stigmatize it. They were just dealing with the punk scene at that time and like people just engaging in just general destructive behavior it wasn't maybe the drug and alcohol just exaggerated what people were already doing it wasn't necessarily the the drugs and the alcohol themselves you know i think this whole record is about the scene that they're part of and obviously ian and jeff wrote a couple of the songs as well really cared about the scene and he, you know they've been doing that now for discord just celebrated its 40 year anniversary they cared so much about the scene that they felt compelled they had to speak up about certain things if they didn't speak up about it, then we're sort of stepping back and saying, okay, well, we love this thing, but okay, sorry, it's going to be taken over by this faction because we can't do anything about it. And they were the exact opposite of that. 
you're the first person that pointed this out to me a long, long time ago, but the fellow on the cover is not Ian Mackay, who most people think it was. It is. It is. His brother, Alec Mackay, from Faith and Ignition and, and other bands. Do you know the story of that? Why he's on the steps like that? <laughs> people just assumed that it was Ian for some reason because it, it has the shaved head or whatever. They're all at shows together. It was kind of like a family, even if they weren't directly related to each other. So I think it was just the fact that they were all on the scene together. I think Alec's bands were more influential on the scene. Outside of the DC scene, people don't necessarily acknowledge them as much, but actually they were some of the more influential bands within the DC scene. Yeah. Yeah. The Faith, of course, one of your favorites. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And Untouchables. He was in the Warm Ignition. Ignition, of course. One of my favorite bands too. Yeah. The story behind why he's on the steps like that with his head in his hands is I'm ripping a lot of stuff off from Dance of Days because I just right. read it for the third time. <laughs> <laughs> right. I've taken it back to the library. <laughs> but what happened is there was a show that had, I think, eight local bands that played. They, they just decided, let's just put as many bands on as we can. And I guess Alec was getting tired. So he ended up falling asleep <laughs> on the stairs. Oh, okay, yeah. That <laughs> and that's, sense, that's yeah. him sleeping on the stairs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this band is one of the first ones that I got into after discovering punk. I heard Bad Religion, I heard Corrosion of Conformity and The Accused and all these crossover bands, DRI, of course. But this is the first band that really struck me as being punk. It wasn't crossover metal, it wasn't hardcore, it was full-on punk. And I know they call it DC hardcore, but to me, this band just sounded... Maybe it's just my association with the words hardcore and punk, but to me, punk is more serrated and rough and scratchy and in your face this was i would say the first punk band that i heard that makes sense to me too that's kind of how i thought of it at the time too because when i first heard them i didn't know what hardcore was at all i had no idea and i just thought of it i was like oh this is what punk is supposed to sound like to me it was like this is the original ground floor of punk or something like that because i hadn't heard bad brains or i hadn't heard wire or anything like that at the time so i didn't have any context for it all i'd heard was mainstream pop punk Green Day. And I didn't know that a lot of indie rock like Dinosaur Jr. had a background in the hardcore scene as well. I didn't know any of that at the time. I didn't find out until later. So to me, Minor Threat just dropped out of the sky or something. Yeah. Dinosaur Jr. had the guys had a band called Deep Wound. Yeah. And that's full on. It's like a Minor Threat cover band almost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot murkier, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned Bad Brains. And from what I understand, Minor Threat were very influenced by the Bad Brains, but none of the punk bands in DC were doing that fast, precision punk hardcore that Bad Brains were doing. It was this mind-blowing thing where no one had heard that kind of precision before. And I think Minor Threat modeled themselves after that. I remember reading that when Ian was in Teen Idols, they could never really get the sound that they wanted. And I kind of get the sense that when Ian and Jeff formed a minor threat. They were looking for people that could play like that. You kind of noticed that, like you're saying at the start, they're kind of simple, but then at the same time, I felt like, yeah, the plant, the musicianship was a bit better than your average punk band. The songwriting was a bit more 
complex. Yeah, and the playing was better. I think they also practiced like six times a week or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then later I listened to the Teen Idols too, but then you can tell that there's a huge difference in the quality of the playing or whatever. Do you think if they hadn't changed the lineup that they might have done something more like the first two seven inches? Or do you think they were already destined to kind of move beyond that into more of a melodic sound? Yeah, and I think it was already destined because then Ian went on for Embrace as like a very different sound, a very different yeah. style. And then if you listen to the later Minor Threat stuff, you can see the Dagnasty. You can sort yeah. of see Brian's already on his way to Dagnasty. He's practicing his Dagnasty riffs for, yeah. <laughs> for later. It's more melodic, more like technical and stuff. Yeah. So you can see they're all already going in that direction, yeah. It's interesting because I mentioned before the Scoobald Grand Union stuff and there's a seven inch out there that has three songs on it with it being ian and jeff with two other people that weren't lyle and brian you can really tell the difference the songs on the scuball grand union seven inch are really good yeah but it's just not the same thing with embrace there wasn't really a shocker to me because it was a totally different kind of a band embrace much more the early youtube sort of style with ian just trying to sing <laughs> <laughs> yeah with varying results but <laughs> right. still him and still awesome i think it just was like you said a natural progression of their sound to go into more of the melodic stuff but in some ways i wish that they've gone back in and recorded a third seven inch just so we could have heard what could have been in that regard yeah that's true i mean just have those first two seven inches as the only ones that have that kind of sound and, and the two songs on the flexor head but yeah they could have had i guess at least one more with that kind of sound yeah yeah. But then I guess it got left up to other bands. There's a lot of hardcore bands after that were influenced by Minor Threat or trying to sound like them. But the only band that kind of reminded me of that same kind of sound or spirit was uh, Los Crudos. Oh, yeah. Totally. Specifically, they're split with Spitboy. Yeah. To me, that was the only band that approached that early Minor Threat sound, the feeling behind it. Well, Martin also has the Limp Wrist band. And I think the Limp Wrist stuff is very Minor Threat-ish as well. Yeah. The latest Limp Wrist has a couple of songs in there that could be right off the Minor Threat, first two seven inches. That's definitely one to check out. A lot of bands were influenced by them, but a lot of bands didn't really do them justice. You could say that a lot of the straight edge bands, and we won't get too much into this because it's tired and who cares, but <laughs> a lot of the straight edge youth crew bands definitely were influenced by them. No one can do the same thing in the sense that you had these four people who are all in this scene together, they're friends. There's no rules. There's nothing stopping them from doing whatever they want musically. And that was it. They weren't looking to sell records. They weren't looking to be popular or to do anything other than just play music. And I think probably their popularity and the amount of records they sold was a surprise to them, I would imagine. You know, I don't think they thought that that was going to happen. Yeah, I think they were more just focused on the DC scene. I don't know if you ever saw the live video that they put out themselves of them playing, but it's kind of funny too, because they're kind of at one point, Ian's like, don't tell me to take off these spikes. I've been wearing these spikes for years. Like he's just <laughs> cracking jokes that it wasn't some kind of rock star band or something like that. And I think when they went out on tour, it was tough to live up to these expectations of people when really they were a community-based, scene-based band whose music spread out beyond that. And all of a sudden... Now you have to answer to folks in New York and L.A. and Texas and <laughs> don't mess with Texas about these songs that Ian wrote. He probably didn't think that more than the 400 people in D.C. that listen to this punk stuff would ever hear. 
Should we do YouTube comments? Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> okay. Nothing <laughs> mind-blowing here, but there were a couple that stuck out. Just to make this clear, um, I like to scour the YouTube comments, which is you know a thankless task and probably isn't good <laughs> for my mental health, but uh, I do do it because I like to find funny stuff or touching stuff. This one's not touching. <laughs> this is from Lesson of Life two years ago. I used to go to a record store that was owned by Deadheads. I was renting the Minor Threat VHS tape, and they wouldn't stop going on about how many times they've watched that and how amazing Minor Threat were. <laughs> it's a pretty yeah, positive. Deadheads are fans of Minor Threat, too. <laughs> this one's Andrea LB one year ago. Who dislikes this masterpiece? Five question marks. How is it even possible? I don't understand. For those who listen to hardcore punk, straight edge or not, this is the album. I don't understand. I don't understand. Inconceivable. <laughs> I guess they thought if they kept typing, I don't understand as many times, then we would get the memo. We'd finally understand. <laughs> <laughs> this is the last one here. This is from Pointless Peasant two years ago. What a great way for me to be spending Friday night in the office at work. <laughs> There you have it. <laughs> Some pretty choice comments, yeah. Any final thoughts? Like you said, it's the groundwork for everything, so it's kind of hard to talk about because it's just been part of my concept of music for so long, yeah. Every time I listen to it, I still basically feel the same as when the first time <laughs> that I listened to it, so. It always feels like it's brand new. Whenever a filler comes in, it just hits you like it's the first time you've heard it. Yeah. <laughs> And I love the way that it goes right into I Don't Want to Hear It. feels like the whole two seven inches are like that where just one to the next to the next to the next there's no time to breathe yeah and they kind of build on each other i don't want to hear it it sounds like the topic of the lyrics sounds like it's related to the topics of the first song too you know it's slightly different but it's like building on it yeah and the whole album kind of feels like that it just keeps going it's unrelenting but at the same time it's kind of like building up as it goes it's a along story. yeah yeah totally i wonder how much time they took doing the sequencing for it I would assume they put a lot of thought into it because I've heard that Ian and the Fugazi guys spend a long time with sequencing, but I would like to think that was done on purpose. You know, this little story, this one seven-inch little story there, next seven-inch little story there. Kind of makes sense, yeah, because some of the songs touch on like previous topics. Do you have this on vinyl, the collection? No, I don't have these two seven-inches together. Yeah, I just, I bought the discography CD from you way back when, you know, like one of the first things I ever bought. And then I got the Salad Days 7-inch and I got the first demo 7-inch. But uh, yeah, eventually I want to buy the two albums, so to speak. I uh, do want to give a huge plug out to the Dance of Days book, which was published in 2009 for the third edition. And it's by Mark Anderson of Positive Force and Mark Jenkins, who's a music journalist, longtime member of the DC scene. And it's just this comprehensive timeline of the bands every recording session but written in a very narrative way i mean if you don't know dc hardcore maybe it's going to be pretty dense but for someone who's into minor threat or bad brains or some of the other stuff that came out of dc 
is a must read for sure. I think I've read it three or four times now. I really should buy a copy. The library can only go for so long. <laughs> I haven't even read it yet, so I'd like to get a copy. But but back in the day, I was kind of obsessed with the band in DC photo book. Or yeah, whatever, I've got like that. Just showing all the different bands and all the scenes. And I never had a copy myself, but I would just... I felt like I was annoying people to go to, over to other people's houses. And if they had a copy of it, I'd just spend all my time looking at that book. And Well, you didn't annoy me. I know that you came over <laughs> to look at it one time. Hey, where's Ben in DC? Oh, it's over there on the coffee table. <laughs> I picked up a book called Punk Love a while ago, and it's photos of Ian McKay and Henry Garfield slash Rollins when they worked at Hagendaz and oh, skateboarded yeah. and stuff. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. There's some show photos, not live bands, but people hanging out at shows, which I always thought was cool with DC as well, because they always had these scene photos. It wasn't just bands. It was yeah. people hanging out. That's what I like to, but yeah, punk love is really good. And if you want to really get into the nitty gritty of DC hardcore Discord Records, discord.com. That's D. Does I have to spell this? No, I don't have to spell this. Discord <laughs> Records. If I have to spell this, then you're listening to the wrong podcast. <laughs> the Scream Therapy podcast is available for you to peruse. You can check out all kinds of episodes about punk rock and mental health, as well as a handful of episodes on albums like we're doing now on Flex Your Head. There's Propaganda, No Means No, United Born Against. Unwound is available as well. Oh, nice. And more to come on ScreamTherapyHQ.com. ScreamTherapyHQ, as in headquarters. The more I say this, the more people will get it. (laughs) .com. Well, ScreamTherapy.com was not available, so I would have to pay $2,000 for the the domain. So So now you're the official headquarters of Scream Therapy. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I'm my own headquarters. (laughs) All right. Thanks for coming, Mike, and we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me.